This is the Honoring the Ancestors, Sashin, May 2018, the fifth talk. Thank you all for practicing so earnestly and creating a container to support the practice of everyone else. We have to remember we're not practicing just for ourselves, ever. The ancestors continually support us. We are both descendants and ancestors. Luminous bright awareness is not the endpoint in our practice. Complete emptying, complete darkness is essential. Complete functioning is essential. Other Zen teachers are often surprised to hear that we chant the names of the ancestors every day. It makes our service long, inefficient, you could say, maybe boringly long at times, but it is extremely important. We would not be here without them. No one would be practicing without them. As you chant, summon them up in your imagination. Tall, short, chubby, gaunt, dark-skinned and light. Men, women, young, young, limber, energetic, old, lame, tired, bent over, gardeners, scholars, cooks, toilet cleaners, all. They all went through the same difficulties we do. Aching bodies, seemingly impossible koans, the distress of an unpacified mind, and whenever they approached a barrier, the fear, the fear of annihilation. They all experience coming up against a barrier, sitting with it despite their fear, and then the joy of moving through to the other side. Like our little Sangha, the ancestors are here to support us. They are all lined up, sitting behind us, lined up behind you. When we humbly call to them for help, they will respond. I'm afraid I need help. I feel like I can't go on. I want to leave. I need help. We can lean back into them when we're afraid, when we're tired. In grasses and trees session, we go out and lean against a tree, asking for its perspective on our life, its perspective on our koan, 
its perspective on our fear of death, its perspective on the state of the world. We chant the ancestors as if there's one straight line, but the ancestors are actually an immense tree. Each person in the lineage is a branch with many sub-branches, and each sub-branch has many sub-branches, and so on. For example, Yastani Roshi had a number of successors. Just in America, one was Philip Kaplow. That was Hogan's first teacher. Philip Kaplow had nine successors. Another of Yatsutani Roshi's successors was Yamada Kohen Roshi, who was a layperson and a hospital administrator. He had 36 successors, including Robert Aiken Roshi, one of the founders of Zen practice in America, and one of the teachers of Mushin you heard her way-seeking mind talk. And another was Maizumi Roshi, who gave Jukai to over 500 people, ordination to 56, and transmitted to 13. And as a result of his life, there are Dharma centers all over the world. So just through those three descendants, Philip Kaplow, Yamada Kohen Roshi, who is the founder of the Sambo Kyodan lineage, so there are many American teachers in that lineage, and Maizumi Roshi. Yasutani Roshi had 58 grandchildren, successors, grandchildren. And as kindness and clarity branch out from them to all the people they touch and to their successors, what do you have? Maizumi Roshi is at the end of our lineage and lived just a few decades ago. But after 800 years, almost 800 years, how many descendants does Dogen Zenji have today? The ancestors are a great sheltering tree, available to support us when we falter and even grant us insights when we are confused. It's up to us to ask. They're ready to move forward. Master Hong in Cultivating the Empty Field. Those who have descendants are called ancestors. Who are our descendants? we who practice with Zen Community of Oregon. Who are we growing up to inherit the family business? Of course, the two teachers who have given us such clear and inspiring talks during this session. Teachers are grown by the Sangha. In Jewish congregations, they know they have a responsibility to create new rabbis. And so congregations support rabbinical students. 
maybe they won't get that rabbinical student in their congregation, but they know that this is vitally important. We support two monks in Cambodia <clears throat> for the same reason. Who will they benefit in a country that, in which almost all of the monks were killed? Monks and nuns were killed after the Vietnam War. Of course, we are growing up transmitted teachers, lay and ordained, who have given over a very large portion of their lives to being undone by this precious practice and then sharing it with others. This precious practice that helps us experience our own lives as precious. That helps us experience the continuous activity and vitality of our life as continuous vitality, continuous practice, to experience it as such. It is always true, but we don't necessarily experience it. But all of you are also descendants, all of you. You will carry what you are learning in this session, or even better, what you are unlearning in this session, out of the monastery and into your lives. All of you are also ancestors because your practice will spread out in the world and bring benefit to others. You may not know how this happens. Occasionally we know, but more often we don't. This is where faith comes in. You do know that practice clears out your heart empties out the grudges, the complaints, the bitter places, and replaces them with what? With understanding each human being's plight, as we understand our own. The more minutely we understand our own plight, the more we understand everyone else. And this is the catalyst for kindling the warm fire of compassion in our hearts. When we know our own suffering as exactly the path, as exactly the path, then our heart responds to the suffering of others with equanimity and with kindness. You also know that the practice also empties out the trash in your mind, the endless recycling of certain trains of thought, the recurring anxieties and fears. These thoughts are exactly what obscures the essence, the cauldron of emptiness that constantly manifests as each moment of your life and each breath each step, each molecule, each whale, 
each spinning galaxy. Dogen Zenji was very clear. He said, this practice occurs by means of the body. This means stop paying attention to your mind. He said it will never be accomplished by your mind. Let your body sit as still as possible. Find a place in your body that is a center of stillness and rest your awareness there. A center of stillness that is unaffected by movement. Try it now. Sit so that the only movement is that of breathing and the heart beating. The little tiny internal movements of the body that simply sits, breathes, and is alive. Hold your eyes and body still, except for breathing and the heart beating. If your eyes are open, hold the eyes still and the gaze soft. Now let the mind be utterly still. Stop the activity of thinking. Sometimes it helps to give a little internal squeeze to your mind, to hold it still. Your eyes are still, your body is still, except for breathing. Your mind is still open and simply aware. Filled with awareness. Then gently hold it in stillness. Once you learn to still your mind, to have periods of not thinking, it's such a relief. And it is the doorway to access the deep river of prajna wisdom. That is what luminous refers to, self-revealing. Ask an important question. It could be a koan or your personal koan. Ask an important question. Clear the mind. Sit alert but relaxed. And a response eventually appears. All Buddhas of past, present, and future rely on just this.
not on their individual mind, on the great mind. The mind that is accessed through the stillness in our mind. Make the mind still. Gently hold it still. Wide open, aware, and still. One disadvantage we have in giving Dharma talks in our native tongue, English, to an English-speaking audience is that we tend to speak quite quickly and stuff a lot of information into what we are saying. Mazumi Roshi learned English after he came to the United States. I always imagine going to a foreign country, not speaking the language, and vowing to plant the Dharma seeds so deeply that they would not die out, that they would flourish. Seems completely crazy. But he went to night school and learned English, and actually his English continually improved. He, he loved words. He loved looking up words and trying to find precise, the precise word. But he spoke very slowly in his Dharma talks, very deliberately, and he left gaps. It was those gaps that helped you appreciate the spaciousness that surrounds and permeates everything. For example, he said, when we say sit, it doesn't mean just physical sitting. Make both your body and your mind really sit. Then, in very busy activity, still, you can make yourself sit with it. Being so, you forget yourself. That's the moment you become everything else. It seems simple, but there's a lot here. Maizumi Roshi says, when we say sit, first we have to learn to sit with the body, upright but relaxed. Scan at the start of sitting for extra holding 
and soften. Also, we have to sit with all the sensations that naturally arise in a body and not react to them. An itch, let it itch. Watch how long it takes to change and disappear. Discomfort, sit with it. If you have a body, it will have areas of what we call discomfort or more intense sensation. So right now, if I check, I have area of strong sensation, which I could call discomfort, in the lower back, stronger on the right, in the neck, in the shoulders, stronger on the left. And the right index finger some discomfort in the belly because lunch is being digested and absorbed. Lips are perhaps a bit dry. When I look again, they've changed. Now, just below the shoulders, above the shoulder blades, has a stronger area of what I could call discomfort or just strong sensation. And the right wrist. Oops, now it disappeared. If I have discomfort or areas of stronger sensation in my body, does that mean that something's wrong? No. It means I have a body. If you keep paying attention to discomfort and keep moving away from it, you will never know the blessing of stillness. If you keep paying attention to your mental emotional discomfort, you will never know the blessing of internal silence. When your samadhi develops, when you are able to cultivate a quiet mind and a quiet body, when you, as Maizumi Roshi said, when you make both body and mind really sit, then you forget yourself and you open your narrow focus on this tiny transient body into spacious awareness of the infinite body. Then all discomfort disappears. That is when samadhi unfolds into nirvana. Heaven is not anywhere else. Enlightenment is not anywhere else. It is not in any place else or any time else. We've all had the experience of touching nirvana within samsara. 
last night there was a moment as the sun went down the temperature dropped in the cool dusk worldly sounds quieted the birds settled in their nests and everything was perfect For a moment, everything was perfect. But everything is always perfect. These little glimpses happen when you forget yourself and become everything else. Everything is perfect, like a palace, like a jewel. And the bell rings, and there's work to do. The palace has dust in the corners and a mound of dirty pans in the kitchen sink. But when we bring practice into activity, practice mind, practice awareness into activity, the water flows like a liquid jewel out of the tap. The pots gleam like silver. There is work to do, to help however we can in a troubled world. Aizumi Roshi said, then, in very busy activity, still, you can make yourself sit with it. Then, at the core of this busy life is this deep silence, is this deep sitting. And out of it flows our life work. But then the way we do our work is completely different. It is the right foot and the left foot in walking. It is the identity of absolute and relative functioning together. Where does that identity occur? Right here. Right here. Right here. Sometimes it helps to use the terms of our childhood religion. In Christian terms, we say transcendent and imminent. The divine, the transcendent, aspect of the divine cannot be touched, grasped, understood, or even named. It is unattainable. It has no beginning or end, is immortal, invisible, is wisdom itself, is compassion itself, and is the unchanging and only one. It has no location. When Buddhas appear in this universe, it does not arise with them. When Buddhas cease to be, it does not cease. In contrast, the imminent God is obvious, so obvious, appearing everywhere in all creations. It is all creations. 
It appears as constant change. It is nothing but constant change. It appears as being born and dying. It is being born and dying. Flowers, forests, grasses, leaves, round or square, all display it. You have only to look at your own hand. Please look at your own hand. And you see God's hands. What will you do with God's hands? God has no other hand, no other hands but these hands to do God's work, to do the work of the Buddha. What will you do with them? Now, an hour from now, tonight, tomorrow, what will you do with these Buddha God hands? We say, okay, here's what I will do. Sentient beings are numberless. I vow to free them. But I like to turn these vows around. Sentient beings are numberless. I vow to be freed by them. Sentient beings are numberless. I vow to be freed by them or saved. When we were studying with Maizumi Roshi, the translation was, I vow to save them. I vow to be saved by them. Everyone we encounter can teach us about our own blocks, our own blocks to living an enlightened life, our own desire, our own aversion, our own ignorance. Our complaining mind is a wonderful teacher. Our complaining mind points directly to our fixed beliefs. Mind says, this shouldn't be this way, but it is. Only when we fully accept it as it is does a door open to change. A door, a way that is clean. Clean of what? Clean of self-centered view, which naturally contains desire aversion, and ignorance. For example, when we view the four directions from a boat on the ocean where no land is in sight, we see only a circle and nothing else. No other aspects are apparent. However, this ocean is neither round nor square and its realities are infinite in variety. It is like a palace, it is like a jewel, But we only recognize and understand through practice what the penetrating power of our vision can reach. When our vision of reality is blocked by the constant movement of the body and mind, then we experience the world as a little circle. I am at the center and the whole world revolves around me. And the world extends out as far as I can see or hear and then maybe reach through electronic media. And that's the world and I'm at the center. But 
This little circle is what people think about me, what people have done to me, how people should treat me, how the world is not meeting my expectations. Our current president is just an exaggeration of this very view. Maybe to help us really see it in ourselves, a view that we all fall into, to have it reflected back so vividly every day is painful and amusing. We wake up every morning not knowing if it will be painful news or amusing news or both. But if we can see our own mind's craziness with amusement, we'll be doing very well. How the world is not meeting my expectations. How the practice is not meeting my expectations. How other people are not meeting my expectations. Maizumi Roshi spoke about expectations. He said, in our practice, we should have no expectations. Rather, we should have aspirations. Aspiration, not expectation. He commented that aspire comes from to breathe. He said, like breathing, it is something quite natural, as it is an aspiration to improve. I mentioned that when Hogan and I were in Vienna, we went to a museum of natural history that had the history of Austria, people in Austria from um, before the Stone Age, Stone Age, Copper Age, Bronze Age. Bronze actually was a big improvement over copper. And then the Iron Age, and at first when they learned to smelt iron, they used it only for jewelry. They didn't realize it had uh, use for farming implements and spears. Spears were the first weapons that were designed to kill other people, as well as food. But going through the history and then moving through the Iron Age and the development of various religious uh, centers, and all of the buildings and accoutrement that went with, with them. What was evident was humankind's desire to improve, the aspiration to create and continually improve. Maizumi Roshi says this is completely natural, like breathing the aspiration to improve. But our aspiration goes beyond just improving our material circumstances. It is the aspiration to awaken, which exists in everyone, but can become dis quite distorted. Maizumi Roshi, as Fuho said, loved Dogen Zenji. He talked constantly about Dogen Zenji's teaching of practice enlightenment. 
almost one word, practice enlightenment. He said, it's already here. That's what your life is. It's very, very true. Aizumi Roshi quoted Dogen Zenji, the way is intrinsically, perfectly manifesting right here. Where? Always here. Realization or attaining enlightenment is nothing but to become aware of this fact. Do you see? Our life as it is. Everything is here. Our practice is the natural expression of our innate enlightenment. We all came to this session because the enlightenment within us called us, called to us to emerge, to become our daily experience. It's just like a baby. A baby's development naturally emerges. It rolls over, it crawls, it walks, it speaks. It emerges naturally. We say, she learned to walk at age 13 months. But actually, when you watch the process, it is not learning. It emerges naturally. The urge to walk emerges naturally, just as the urge to clarify, to clarify further, and to clarify even further continually emerges once we step on the path to awakening. Kise spoke of entering the deep darkness This is a special characteristic of Zen. It is a balance to the many achievement practices, such as Sasokan breathing, passing koans, accomplishing 100,000 mantras, offerings, and bows, charnel ground meditation, energy channeling, cultivating inner heat, feeding the demons, even loving-kindness and compassion practices. All of these practices can be very useful in preparing the ground of the heart-mind for going deeper into the great death. We say that emptiness is not a black void. I've said it many times myself. Emptiness is not a black void. But it is not, not a black void. In emptying out the faulty, constructed self, in emptying out the dream of self, we have to voluntarily walk into that great darkness. 
where nothing exists. No time, no space, no luminous awareness, and dwell in that darkness at length. We are pointed to it by all the Zen ancestors. Basso, no mind, no Buddha. Nonsense, not mind, not Buddha, not things. To be unattached to all thoughts, all things at the last moment before we step into that great darkness. Izan tipping over the water pitcher. Emptying, emptying, emptying. Master Joshu, upon his first opening at age 17, suddenly I was ruined and homeless. No home, no eyes, no ears, no body, no mind, no form, no perception, no consciousness. Mumon Khan, Case 28. Toksan asked Ryutan, about Zen far into the night. Ryutan was his teacher. At last, Ryutan said, the night is late. Why don't you retire? Toksan made his bows and lifted the door covering to leave. But he was met by darkness. Turning back, he said, it is dark outside. Ryutan lit a paper candle and handed it to him. Toksan was about to take it when Ryutan blew it out. All of a sudden, Toksan went through a deep experience. No eyes, no ears, no body, no mind. This complete emptying out is the essence of Zen practice. This darkness calls to us. Come home. Come home. Let go. Come home. The koan that Fuho talked about, after I die, build me a seamless tomb, or in some translations, pagoda. There are pagoda out there. Each piece was fitted on. It has many pieces and many seams. What style should it be? Chu Kokshi, the teacher, was silent. That koan is actually written in Maizumi Roshi's own calligraphy in the founder's room, right above his picture. It is my fundamental koan. How to build him a seamless pagoda, a seamless as Fuho suggested it may require entering that seamless tomb this monastery is being built on silence people can perceive it when they come into this hall this monastery is being built on silence, on emptiness, and on faith. 
the faith that all of you exhibit coming here for Sashim. Tongan's beautiful poem, south of Cho, north of Tan, in between, gold abounds. A ferry boat under a shadowless tree. There is no holy one in the crystal palace. Let us aspire to carry at our core that darkness in which no shadow is cast. To know that we are no one and everything. And then to carry everyone in our most silent and empty ferry boat to the other side, to the other side of suffering. The ancestors continually support us. We are both descendants and ancestors. Luminous bright awareness is important to experience, but it is not the end point in our practice. Complete emptying, letting go into complete darkness is essential. And out of that darkness comes complete, clean functioning. Please practice. Please become stillness, silence, and bright emptiness. All within a human body and mind. Let your Buddha nature emerge. 